0: Hey, it's Amin Hassan, and you're listening to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much for watching or listening to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. My name is Tim Tompkins. On the show, Mr. Dave King, Managing Editor of Bright Side of the Sun, Mr. Greg Esposito. Shazam! <laughs> uh.
1: Cool Wranglers cap though too no. not wranglers but hot shots
2: hot shots i've got the wranglers helmet there here we as well it's defunct football saturday here did your Earth head used sun to fit solar into that panel.
0: helmet no never ego's <laughs> always been too big <laughs> yeah so listen anybody that was listening to us on spotify if you can no longer if our feed is not updating that's because for some reason there's three of our shows on there and only one is actually updating so go ahead search again for the sun solar panel podcast and just uh subscribe or follow like whatever it is on on spotify to the feed that is updating
1: or just follow all of
0: them right uh you could do that too so listen do we get credit for that if they follow all of them we have finally uh had some sort of resolution to the gm role what Robert Sharper was going to do, breaking this down. James Jones is now officially the GM, with Trevor Buckstein reporting to James Jones as the assistant GM. And Jeff Bauer, the senior VP, also reporting directly to James Jones.
1: See, every every organization does it differently. In this case, the senior VP of basketball operations is going to report to the GM. The last year, James Jones was the VP of basketball operations reporting to the GM, Ryan McDonough. But now David Griffin is going to work for the Pelicans and be the head man, the top cheese, all that, and his exact title will be senior VP of basketball operations. So it all depends on how the organization wants to put the lines on the org chart. This, this is probably... we know you're in love with this whole setup. <laughs> Come on, tell us, tell us how much you love exactly what came
2: down. Well, look, I honestly go back and forth because. I I think I've probably been too harsh on James Jones for the simple fact that he's Robert Sarver's guy. Well, and the fact that it played out very much the way the Earl Watson, which I have Earl Watson stuff at some point in this show to share, but uh, the, very much the way the Earl Watson, Jeff Hornacek thing played out and the Lindsey Hunter, Alvin Gentry uh, thing played out. It's a guy with no experience, came in, got good with Robert Sarver and for lack of a better term, weaseled his way into the job. And or that, just
1: got handed it.
2: Or got handed it. I think that's probably more in James Jones's case. He got handed it. I think the other two may have done some shady things to to undermine their their previous boss. I think James Jones just happened to have a real good relationship with Sarver and got handed this job. But they're guys without experience that that wound up getting uh, the easy road to the job, and and then uh, it it just concerns me. And then you give all the power to James Jones in this. And I don't want to get—when this came down, I texted you guys, and I was probably a little too caught up on the semantics of all this, right? Because why hire Jeff Bauer as a senior VP and then have him report to the general manager, James Jones? Now, my my problem still is you hire Jeff Bauer for one reason, one reason only— to check a box because the NBA reportedly was unhappy with you having no experience in your front office. So you go, oh, Jeff Bauer, check. But That's really, not the reason. Je- you don't think? Well, it's not the you?
1: only reason. No, no, it that, is a reason, absolutely. But it's not the really. only reason.
2: But think about it. Why would you hire the guy with 20 years of experience and give him no power and have the because guy? He, because he's not great as being the only guy. I know, but he wouldn't have been the only guy. He and James Jones would have worked as a team with him having final say, seeing as he has the experience. Now, this is the way I hope it's really structured. And maybe someday we'll find out that this is really what it is. That James Jones is at the top where he's kind of crafting the vision, saying this is what I want Our culture to be like, this is the type of guy I want you to go after. But Jeff Bauer is really the one working the phones, doing the day-to-day stuff that James Jones hasn't seemed necessarily interested in. That's the way I hope this works out with Trevor Buckstein doing what he's good at. Understanding the cap, trying to figure out ways to get guys in here. The best part of this whole thing is that Trevor uh, continues to be with this organization. I am a big believer in Trevor, both the person and the the, the basketball professional. So I'm very excited that he's still part of this front office. But I really hope that that's the way this structure is, and that the titles are just bizarre, and that that James Jones really is kind of that that head of basketball operations that's setting the tone for everything. And Bauer may be the one getting his hands dirty, trying to execute uh, getting the type of player and some of the, the specific pieces that James Jones wants. If that's the way it is, I feel a little bit better about where we are, but the whole thing still seems convoluted, which seems very Phoenix suns.
0: So I have a list of uh, some of the things that Bauer has done in his career with the Pelicans and Detroit. You guys want to hear it? Yes.
2: Maybe. Yeah. No, I don't. Right. Thinking about how how bad some of these may be.
0: Uh, it's mixed. It's definitely mixed. And I I just picked a few of them. Um, he's been working in the league for a really long time, so there was a lot of different moves that uh that he was responsible for. So I just you know I picked a few and I highlighted them uh so with uh pelicans and again over with detroit he did draft spencer denwitty 38th overall found a great pick there uh he also traded spencer denwitty to the bulls for cameron bear (laughs) oops (laughs) well to be uh yeah Yeah. you're not even gonna defend it no
1: i'm not defending any of this stuff I'm just explaining there was a reputation Spencer Dinwiddie had early in his career that even he cops to, that he, he spent as much time questioning authority as he did executing plays because uh, he always knew better than the coach. And he's developed into either that his coach is the perfect for him now, and Kenny Atkinson, or he's matured enough to realize when to speak up and when not to. He was always a good player. He just really rubbed everybody, uh, rubbed the coaching staff the wrong way when he was young. But I don't want to defend that move because why the hell would you trade him for Ke- Cameron bearstow And uh, why would you, you know, all, all the other, you're going to go through the list, Tim. Keep going. It is not flattering.
0: He appointed Monty Williams as head coach. Uh, actually, that's that, good. That's that's good. good. Mm-hmm. And, that's and I good. would actually wouldn't mind to see Monty in Phoenix eventually. Uh, he yeah, drafted uh, Darren Collison 21st overall. Uh oh, that's pretty We're good. Sh- no. We're starting to
2: draw some lines here that might uh might come come to fruition here in Phoenix. So okay, go ahead.
0: Uh, he drafted Luke Kennard. That's good. Uh, Luke has of, turned into a, be- a pretty good player. Instead He's not of a great player, huh? Instead of this, that's the important part. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> instead of Donovan Mitchell. Okay, well.
1: We'll do the same argument uh, we always do in defense of the Suns because we're blind fans is a lot of other teams also passed
0: on Donovan Mitchell. Right. right. He, he just happened and to be I'm like not as much of a fan of Donovan Mitchell as a lot of people are. Screw
2: yeah, well, Don- Donovan. Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's
0: <laughs> still really good uh, and Luke Kennard's fine, but it just happened to be that was the pick right before Donovan oh, Mitchell. And so they that's- should have definitely taken
1: Donovan Mitchell for sure. Right.
0: Yes. Uh, he did orchestrate the Blake
1: Griffin. <laughs> right.
2: uh,
0: he orchestrated the Blake Griffin trade uh, for Bradley, uh, for Avery Bradley, Harris, and Bobon. Um, I well, think that good. was a really good move.
2: Mm-hmm. And I he, think it's I think it's always a bad move when you trade
0: Bobon because that guy is just entertaining. Uh, he did fire Stan Van Gundy as head coach.
2: That's now, probably hey, a good move too. Didn't they get fired together?
0: or not i don't know so no <laughs> he, I, I he sorry. fired himself
2: um, right after he fired no uh, sam no no van so
1: Stan, sam van gundy was the president of basketball operations and the coach and bauer was the dude in the middle um i did some back and forth with duncan smith who is a really good pistons uh writer um that i follow on twitter and i, I asked him about Bauer's Uh, experience in Detroit you listed several of the moves and no none of the uh, Detroit fans are comfortable with who did what when Stan was around because Stan was always the voice he's always the man dealing with the media Bauer rarely spoke or appeared before cameras and typically only did alongside Stan Um, Bauer was very much the man shrouded in darkness nothing could really be attributed to him specifically as Van Gundy was calling the shots so and they overall did poorly uh, in building. Uh, now, this is all relatively speaking. This They did pretty well building a team that was competitive for playoff spots every year, but they didn't build a real winner. Yeah, the acquisition of Blake Griffin was actually really good um, as far as what they gave up in return because the Clippers have also retraded. Something about Tobias Harris gets himself traded a lot. I know. No matter how good he is. And I don't quite understand that. But they also here's here's a couple of examples that he did real bad. And Tim, you may be getting to these, but
0: I'll just read through.
1: No, that Tim, was all, that was all did, I
0: played. There was there was okay. more. I have like two pictures of this move. There was, a, there was a
1: couple that you know, uh, this Pistons fan, Duncan Smith, shared with me. Uh, while he clearly can't be blamed for being the architect of such signings as John Lewer for four year, forty one million dollars. Remember that. Remember yep. when we let John Luer go and brought in Mirza Toledivich instead or accidentally hard <coughs> excuse me accidentally hard capping themselves for langston galloway at noon on july 1st one year so hard capping means that you go so far into the luxury tax and all that that you you can't do anything but minimum salary deals after that unless you get yourself below that uh, hard cap level uh, unless you dump salary so they accidentally hard cap themselves on the 1st of July one summer to re-sign or sign on Langston Galloway. So uh, we don't know. Bauer isn't like the guy who's going to fix anything. But Sam Van Gundy was also on the jump I mean, a couple of days ago. And, of course, he's a fan of Jeff Bauer because they work together. And he said Bauer's really smart and he's a really great team player. He goes along with, you know, he's really good to have in a front office. So I think that's what he was brought in for the Suns. And I think if you really want culture to be set from the top and and you don't want Sarver's culture to be the only culture being set at the top, you can do a lot worse than James Jones as your culture setter and putting him in charge, even if he doesn't do all the work and make all the final decisions or excuse me, make all the um, do all the analysis to lead up to the final decisions, then that's OK, because that's not what he was. His whole career has been about his whole career has been about is navigating through things. Um, They've developed uh, Devin Booker already said going uh, in his exit interview this year, when the Suns won fewer games this year than they did last year in his exit interview, Devin Booker said the culture has changed and now it's time for us to really build on this. And I think he meant obviously that they got to bring back Kelly Oubre. They got to, they, they like the acquisition of Tyler Johnson They like how everyone's growing together, and he likes the future. He said, we don't even have to make big moves, and I'd be happy going into next year. So I think a lot of that has to be attributed to James Jones uh, setting the culture and being a calming voice of reason around all the chaos that Robert Sarver brings. So the more James Jones is put in a position to be able to do that, potentially the better.
2: I don't disagree with you there if you Listen to and, and I got a chance To hear Channing Fry on Arizona Sports yesterday with Burns and Gambo And he was brought on to basically Talk about James Jones and You listen to him and and I trust Channing Channing's not a guy that's going to BS you he's going to tell you what he really Thinks if you point blank ask Him especially now that he's not in the league And he talked about That that James Jones is A winner he's a guy that in everything He does he comes with a, with a mindset that's a, that's a championship mindset and it, it, it's infectious and i totally agree with that it, it's just i didn't have faith that if he was the only one pulling the trigger and making decisions uh in terms of the the basketball side of things that he'd a hundred percent be prepared because he didn't it, we as we've talked about scouting wasn't a big thing for him uh <laughs> he he wish was wishy-washy on how you actually build a team, whether it's free agencies or he doesn't like trades or he does like trades. like Those fundamental things are what concern me most about James Jones. It's never been about the culture side of it. I have have faith that James Jones can help build an appropriate culture here in Phoenix depending on how much they can keep Robert Sarver out of things. Now, I was hoping Jeff Bauer might be a guy that was more likely to stand up to to mm-hmm. a Robert Sarver that that may have been what what he was brought into and I can tell you I talked to some people around the league and Jeff Bauer has a, a good reputation is a very nice guy but he is not the guy that's gonna that's gonna stand up to ownership right. and and it, and make sure that Robert Sarver isn't meddling in things
1: it might have actually been worse if Jeff Bauer had put in been put in charge because um, as as this guy Duncan Smith says Um, he, uh, Bauer cannot be credited with being the adult in the room with the knowledge or authority to check Van Gundy. Ultimately, we don't know what good he did, but we do know what bad he failed to prevent. And this is talking about the Pistons. So yeah, no, uh, Bauer is going to be a voice and a help and all that, but he's not a strong personality that's going to, that's going to talk everybody into doing something they didn't want to do, even if it was a bad decision that they thought they wanted to do. But he'll be a good voice there. So I think if you were going to put somebody who's just going to calm the waters and keep everything professional and keep it on the up and up, your best chance among these three is James Jones. But the final comment that Duncan Smith said was, uh, (laughs) I (laughs) I also feel disdain for the Suns for aiming as low as they did. Maybe they inquired elsewhere and were rebuffed but it's disappointing to see the Suns go for the middle rather than a premier executive with several on the market. We see, all know the answer to that one.
2: But that's the problem. You just said right. Jeff Jeff Bauer isn't the adult in the room. Well, you needed to hire an adult in the room because you've got right. James Jones with no experience. I mean, his experience is... A year removed from playing, he sat behind Ryan McDonough, and then he took over the main job and took a wait-and-see approach uh, in his first year in a lot of things. You needed an adult in the room, and that's where the big problem is. But, you know,
1: the three moves that he did make, he brought in Jamal Crawford off the street, which as a player, Jamal was real bad this year, but as a locker room influence, the players in the exit interviews could not stop talking about Jamal Crawford as they yeah. walked out the door this year, they would love him, and Good that's move. part of the culture has changed. Part of the culture has changed is Jamal Crawford. Another part of a change culture, Kelly Oubre, and I know that may have been a been a mistake, but still Kelly Oubre changed the culture, and Tyler Johnson helped change the culture. Okay, and those are and, all and three so did, guys. So did Igor. What'd you say? So did Igor. So, did Igor. And so, all those guys were guys brought in by James Jones or while James Jones was on watch. We'll find out soon enough whether Igor is really James Jones's guy. Um, I'm a little surprised that they haven't either totally publicly backed Igor by now or let him go, but uh, they may still be getting their ducks in a row. Uh, we could talk about all this, all the coaching carousel that's going on right now at some point, Tim. I'll, I'll let you uh, manage that.
2: One more point, though. The reason that that this is not palatable to me, and Duncan Smith makes a great point, is because you sit there and you look and you see a guy like Dave Griffin, who I think we all agree is a much better candidate than a Jeff Bauer in a front office. But we all all agree he was
1: never coming back here.
2: I. I don't know. There's always there's always a chance if you're willing to spend or if you're willing to admit that you screwed up somehow. And I don't think either of those things was never going to happen. But but those are two of the problems we have here. And I tweeted when this came out, as much as things change, they stay the same. And I feel like this is, okay, I have a room that's painted white that's a little dull. I repaint it white. It's I'm not overwhelmed. It's slightly different, but it's really pretty much the same with a fresher coat of paint on it. That's what this front office is. I'm not I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not underwhelmed. I'm whelmed right now. And that <laughs> and you gotta prove something to me at this point because you've done a little bit but not really much to change the situation.
1: Amin El Hassan mentioned on uh one of the shows probably the jump as w- and and so I followed up on it and confirmed it. Um what's interesting is Sun's fans will will probably be very um, interested to know that Lon Babbie is the one who led the search for uh the the uh the front office executive that turned out to be Jeff Bauer.
2: Hey Lon, I was actually thinking this felt A little, a little like a A lawn, lawnish, and that's fine. Like, I, I'm one of the few that actually likes lawn and that trusts lawn's opinion, but with the parameters that he was working within, Jeff Bauer has experience. (laughs) Uh, He he really does. They probably given the parameters. They needed, they they needed somebody
0: with experience, and he has a ton of experience. Sometimes you just need somebody that knows how to do the damn job.
1: Yeah. But also Lon, after having been in the front office under Robert Sarver for several years, uh, Lon knows you know you don't you don't cut off your nose to spite your face or whatever the 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 phrase is that I want to use right now. He knows the kind of guy who's going to succeed in a Robert Sarver front office. And he knows the kind of guy who is not going to succeed in a Robert Sarver front office, and that probably played a part in what kind of team player are you. And can you get along in, in difficult environments some of those experiential behavioral questions that people ask in interviews? I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff Bauer aced those. Whereas other guys like Mike Budenhoser last year, like David Fitzdale passed last year on the coaching search uh, and uh, uh, maybe some of their inquiries into big names, potentially big names that were out there um, on uh, available to be talked to. But they're, they're much more relevant than than the ones that were leaked to us previously like Kevin McHale or and uh, and Jim Paxson but they probably talked to some other guys and those guys wanted a little bit more assurances that Robert Sarver wouldn't be uh, Robert Sarver and Lon probably very intelligently made sure that they realized Robert Sarver is still Robert Sarver Uh, I
2: I actually think what it came down to was Lon said Hey, so if uh, if some farm animals came in, you know, and defecated in your office, oh, how would you, you react? <laughs> and that was this that was Jeff Bauer said I would simply ask the janitorial <laughs> staff to come clean it up. <laughs> and that was and that was how we got the job. And, which is perfectly fine because that is a, a, a situation that can happen in this front office. If some farm animals showed up in your office and defecated <laughs> all over. <him.
0: laughs> Uh, now we know
2: now we know how it went down
0: the suns the suns the suns
1: find us online on twitter and facebook just search sun solar panel
0: but we do want to thank you watching or listening to this podcast right now and look if you feel like you do get a lot out of it and you want to do a monthly donation of one dollar or five dollar or if you do the ten dollar option I will personally send you a bunch of sun swag we would really really appreciate the option <clears throat> excuse me i'm losing my voice I've been screaming a lot this week uh but we would we would really really appreciate it uh all you got to do is open up the show notes below if you're listening to the podcast or if you're watching on youtube you can just look at the description hit the support the show button and the one dollar a month option really does go a very long way And this week we do want to thank zach hensley for supporting the sun solar panel podcast so zach thank you very much right on
1: zach thank you very much we appreciate
2: you is this where i jump in with a word from our sponsor it is well since i went off the rails last week i've been giving guidelines on how to how to promote this (laughs) this week so if i if you're watching on youtube and it looks like i'm reading i may actually be reading so So our friends over at Valley Boys, Valley Boys, uh, the original Valley Boys shirts, hats, and hoodies are happy to be a sponsor of the Sun Solar Panel. We're actually waiting for our gear. I can't wait to sport that. Uh, As you guys know, I like to wear fun t-shirts on this program and uh, looking forward to that. And. Fun fact about Valley Boys: All pro- profits from their stickers are donated to the Phoenix area Boys and Girls Club. Uh, so that's that's. That cool. is awesome. It's boys with an S for Boys and Girls Club, but boys with a Z for Valley Boys, just so you keep that straight. Uh, and they have gear for ladies, kids, and babies too. Because if your kid, if your baby looks like Kelly Oubre Jr., it should be rocking a Valley Boys shirt. <laughs> that same hair would be awesome. All printing, embroidery it should also is be cut- a model. It should be, and and a future basketball player and player in general. If it looks like Kelly Oubre, uh, all printing and embroidery done in the U.S. That's right, U.S. made. You want that U.S.A. Uh, stuff here, so none of none of this uh, China crap. You can, you know, where you, you you're getting U.S. made. Uh, and we they offer basic, premium level gear for all budgets. It's Valley Boys. That's b o y z dot com. Link in the show notes. I think I did that better this week, Tim. What are you, doing? you did. You didn't
0: talk about another uh, t shirt company. You didn't show off. The- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't question whether there was legality issues right. with t shirts. I, I I did much better
2: this week. So.
1: Oh, you just you just brought it up again, didn't you?
2: By By the way, can I take a, a few minutes to actually? I think, kind of, sort of, break news on this podcast? Yes, please. All right, so Dave did a good piece on on Earl Watson earlier this week that stemmed off of Earl Watson in the Los Angeles Times, saying that he was given a two-week notice before he was fired, right? So let me walk you through. I have multiple sources, or as Gamble would say, multiple sources that can confirm how this played out. So back, uh, before, right before the preseason that that year, uh, Clutch Sports and Eric Bledsoe requested a, a contract extension. So from my understanding, the front office told him, "Look, we we're not going to extend you because you have a few years left on your deal, and the injury history makes us nervous. Let's wait a year. We'll we'll talk about it." Obviously, that wasn't what Clutch Sports wanted to he- hear. <laughs> Sarver catches wind of this request, goes to Earl Watson and says, you fire Rich Paul and clutch sports now as your your agent or I am going to fire you. This was done without knowledge of anybody in the front office uh, and and it was ju- he was told this. So this goes back to Earl Watson saying there was a demand last year that nobody knew what this demand that was made of him was. It was that Sarver and the Sun mm-hmm. staff, uh Sarver, without the, the front office's knowledge, told him you have to fire clutch sports. Well, obviously Earl Watson wasn't gonna be strong armed like that. So he, this was the two weeks that he claimed he had noticed. He was he was disgruntled, according to sources. He then badmouthed the sun's organization in the locker room to the players at that point and then he gets run 3 games into the season well and you
1: know Eric Bledsoe knew what was going on
2: yes and then it leads to Eric Bledsoe's infamous tweet uh, and basically wanting out because then he realizes well crap because I made a contract demand, man they fired a guy because of because they want him to fire his agent this whole thing's nuts that uh, was a big part of it so there's your there's your entire picture of what what happened? No, we never seem to be able to get the entire the entire picture of it. And I can confirm to you that's the way it all went down.
1: So this whole Rich Paul uh, as in player agent experiences is, is putting is setting the league on its ear. It's really making it difficult for for uh, things to operate as they always have. And now it's it's you know, obviously you as a fan's call to decide who's better and who's not. Rich Paul's clients have done very well for themselves. Cool. Rich Paul's clients, the individual Not players, have gotten ultimately gotten everything they wanted. Not Anthony what? Davis. Oh, he's, he's, ed, about to. he's about to, though. I think um, if you look back on it, Rich Paul's clients have got – Eric Bledsoe got his $70 million in his extension just a year later. Um, but he did it with a team that's leading the East in wins, and he is now uh, being considered for an all-defense team as well as potentially all-NBA at some point. Uh, That's worked out very well for him. Anthony Davis, while this has been a very rocky six months, and and we have yet another example of a coach or a GM saying, gosh, I think that young man is getting bad advice, Um, the advice that Anthony Davis has has gotten from Rich Paul has soured an organization and almost killed off an organization and in in the pelicans and yet anthony davis is going to turn out just fine and then lebron james has gotten everything he wants financially uh and uh while rich paul may have even screwed over lebron james's legacy as an nba player he's never going to screw over lebron
2: james's basketball A report pocketbook. coming out that you're over uh, and like that's for goats sure also on lebron james's is- favor Well, let me say this. I have no problem with Robert Starver being upset with Rich Paul and the way he went about a demand with Eric Bledsoe. Again, and this is a lot of the situation. I have a problem with him
1: telling a guy, telling an employee to fire their independent agent that's supposed to advocate for them.
2: That is where I'm getting. Again, it's the way that the situation was handled that's the problem. He can be mad. He can be upset. But you go to Rich Paul, you go to Eric Bletso and you take it out. You don't go to a third party in your organization and try to strong arm him into getting right. rid of the guy that that just upset you. That's where the problem is. It, I don't. I would have no problem with an owner that is involved and and, and upset with things like that. When it, because it's appropriate to be upset about it, it was a ridiculous request at the time. Uh, but the, it, it's the action after that, which always seems to be the problem with servers. The action after the, well, it's, the normal it's always feeling. impulsive. Yes, and that's the problem it's here. It's Never
1: calculated.
2: It's always yeah. impulsive. And and so I had a long talk with some of my
1: employees, uh, a couple of my employees, the other day, uh, about you know decision making and all that, and how it can't be. Not only can your decision making not be impulsive, but also. the more transparent you are, the better decisions you're going to make because you'll have enough people giving you input. You're still the final decision maker. I'm okay with Robert Sarver making the final decisions. He bought the damn team. He's got the money. What I'm not okay with is, is him not trusting is not really, really taking in the advice of the people that work for him and ultimately coming out with decisions that are best for the franchise. None of his decisions, very few of his decisions that, ever turned out to be for the best for the franchise long term they're all many of them are justifiable in the moment if you consider only momentary reactionary needs and desires but almost none of them have worked out well long term and that's the sign of bad decision making
0: meanwhile it looks like you have no plan ryan mcdonough's like i had a damn point guard no look okay
1: i i i totally get it Robert Sarver undermined Ryan McDonough many times. I get it. But Ryan McDonough also sucked as a GM. Any of the decisions he has been credited with as being the guy who was trusted, those haven't worked out either. Wow
0: well, right. Booker Ryan, fell in he, his lap. Ryan his McDonough record tanked uh, to get high draft picks, and that was his strategy, and uh, he did that effectively.
2: Hey, oh. if, if, we're, if we're looking at Ryan McDonough's record and Jeff Bauer, he's no worse than Jeff Bauer is, and Jeff Bauer was now the guy that they brought in. Now, I, my Yes, my he's thing- worse than Jeff Bauer.
1: Jeff Bauer was in front offices of teams that were competitive. The Suns have not even been competitive, and they've been, they're have been they hated around the league for how awful their culture is. Okay. That was and
2: set by Sarber and McDonough. I— I think Sarver was a larger portion of that culture discussion of what I just told you uh, proves that McDonough took most of the blame for, for that originally. and, You know, and I'd always heard rumors it was Sarver, but now I've actually got multiple people that were part of that that are, you know, that we we also got a lot of
1: evidence from former players that they they specifically talked about the GM being a communication issue.
2: I don't I don't deny that. And I don't deny that Robert Sarver was probably right. To let Ryan McDonough go, but again, the way it was done is the problem. If he was gonna do it, he should have done it before that entire summer started. Just like if you were gonna fire Earl Watson, you shouldn't have given him the extension, which was, from my understanding, a, a Sarver decision, or or you should have let him go in the off season. Like it's not because nobody would have went, oh, I can't believe he fired Earl Watson, or oh, I can't believe he fired Ryan McDonough. <laughs> Those things in a vacuum are justifiable, and you understand that. But it's the way it gets done that's the problem that sets the culture, because chaos uh, is, is part of the culture of this Suns team, and that starts with Robert Sarver making impulsive decisions.
1: So I guess it is silly of us to think that we'll find out something about uh, the ultimate outcome of Igor Kokoshkov now, Right. We're probably not going to find out until halfway through training camp next year.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I I just don't think they're letting Igor go. Really?
1: I think it's just as likely that they'll just give him a pink slip as soon as they get some kind of commitment from another coach like Vlade, for example. Let's talk about the coaching thing right now. Um, Dave Yeager was let go by the Kings, even though he brought them to their best uh, uh, record and their most exciting looking team in over a decade. Jaeger was fired because he he obviously he uh, he doesn't listen to front offices when they tell him who to play and how many minutes to play them. He actually just trusts himself on the court on coaching, and that gets him. He's gotten fired now from two different organizations who didn't like that. So the Suns aren't the only ones with an organization that has their GM or their owner telling their coaches who to play and how many minutes to play them. Uh, that's a that's a common thing, and Jaeger's been fired from two different organizations for not listening. Uh, But anyway, the timing of letting Dave Yeager go was almost certainly because Vlade got intel that Luke Walton was about to be let go. And now Luke Walton is Vlade's top choice to replace Dave Yeager. You don't fire an OK coach or a coach you don't have to fire until you have a better option in front of you right then. And now Vlade thinks he's got a better option in Luke Walton. And the Lakers think they've got a better option in whoever – Rich Paul likes, which Ty, happens to be Ty Run- Lue. Lu. Ty Lue, and who's the other option?
2: Ty I've Lu. drawn a blank. Le- LeBron. No, to coach the team. <laughs> no, There's LeBron. two people
1: they're targeting, and they're both related to. They're both. They both have a long history with Clutch Sports. Yeah, uh, you know, if if for I'm some reason Earl Watson isn't in the running, <laughs> 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 maybe they even know. Maybe right?
2: maybe, maybe he is. Maybe. You don't know. That. <laughs> we don't. Um, we. You know it, to me, if they, if somehow the Suns found out that Luke Walton was interested in their job, they'd fire Igor tomorrow for New numerous- You know, that's what I'm saying is you could reach out. You wouldn't hire Dave Yeager? Well, no, because of what you just said. I don't think they'll ever hire Dave Yeager because he's the, right. the yeah, countercultural thing true. to what they do. They they don't want the guy that's going to not listen to, to everything that is told from above him. So uh, that's probably why Yeager wouldn't be on the table.
1: Sure, sure. But if Luke Walton shows interest, that's yeah. see, that's when you would decide to replace your coach. What the Suns have done wrong in the past, among the million, um, is that they don't have a plan when they do this knee-jerk reactions. They didn't have a plan to replace Ryan McDonough as GM. They didn't have a plan to replace Earl Watson as coach. They don't they don't just don't have plans. Uh so hopefully this time, if you do it right, you only fire Igor if you have a plan, which is you already know another coach is willing to do it because that coach is on the street and willing to talk contract uh, because they're not in the NBA and so there's not a worry about, you know, breach of contract and all that. So it would be an out-of-work coach, right now, out-of-work coach, who should be the only reason that that would want to come to the Suns, should be the only reason
0: they fire Igor. Whether that happens that way or not, I don't know. I just don't think you put... (laughs) I I think that as an organization, there has to be some understanding somewhere. There has to be that you can't give Devin Booker five coaches in five years that you cannot. uh, I know, right? Isn't that ridiculous? Or Jim, Josh Jackson, right? That would be his fourth coach in two years. There just has to be some understanding. And we saw the internal development with the, with the vast majority of the players on the team from the start of the season To the end of the season. And there was something there. There was something there in that last Suns run that they had with Kelly Oubre. Uh, I'd be so shocked if they fired Igor. Even Devin
1: is totally convinced that that is the path to being competitive. Because he said, the culture's been changed. We don't even need to make big moves this summer. We're ready to come back and run it back just getting healthy. Booker even knows it.
2: Well, and look. Should and will are two different things. We've established that this this episode. Should the Suns fire Igor kokoshkov Hell, no. They shouldn't fire unless Igor there's Kukoshkov. something clearly
1: better at the front door.
2: But but is there even guarantee that? Like, okay, everybody assumes Luke Walton is going to be a good coach, e- but we e- haven't Luke- seen it outside no. of when he was coaching Warriors. Like, so do we do we know? Like tell unless, you what, you give me four all stars and I could coach them to win. Exactly. Games. <laughs> like, unless Eric Spolstra and, and Pat Riley have some giant falling out, and Eric Spolstra goes, Hey James, I really want to join forces with you again, then I don't I, I don't foresee anybody being a guaranteed better than where you are. You shouldn't fire Igor Kokoshkov. That does not mean they will not fire Igor Kokoshkov, and that's the problem.
1: Yes. There is a little bit of a problem. He's not the best coach in the world. He obviously he has to get better and he has he is getting better, but he does there is you can't ignore that language problem. Uh Kelly Uber even admitted he said, it took me a while to figure out what the coach was saying because not only does he have a heavy accent, but he also trails off at the end of his like we have to like in uh, we have him in a private media room where there's no other sound distractions, none of us are talking when we do pregame and post game. And we still have to run it back and transcribe things for ourselves later because we don't catch all the words he actually said. And so I can imagine it being even worse in a loud gym. Uh, So I don't I get it that there is a bit of a language barrier. But then Uber himself said, but when you know what he's saying, he's saying all the right stuff. You just have to figure out how he's saying it and when he says so you can anticipate his words and you and you know it. He is a great coach as long as you know what he's talking about.
2: Well, and. The the funny thing about this is two thirds of the people that hired Igor Kokoshkov and if you want to include Trevor Buckstein, three fourths of the people that hired Igor Kokoshkov are still there. So this isn't a we're firing the other guy's guy. They were right. they were their fingerprints are as much on that hiring as anybody else's. So so that's a cop out if if they try to use that excuse uh, to to let him go. Uh, my point is if you're in the camp that keeping james jones was important because of consistency and establishing culture and those kind of things you can't also be on the on the side of you have to fire <laughs> igor kokoshka because it's counterintuitive
1: wait you're saying fans are sometimes
2: counterintuitive yes yes <laughs> and robert sarver sometimes as well <laughs> yeah
0: So uh, this episode right here, I think we're, what, about like 40 minutes uh, (laughs) in-ish to the episode. It was supposed to be a mailbag episode with a short intro. It's not how it is. <laughs> so
2: let's mailbag it up.
0: If so, we need to cut it into two episodes, we'll pull some of it in the middle of the week. We'll, let's get, like, get us to these questions. We'll, Tim. we'll try our best to get through as many of them as possible. Uh, Rapid just, fire.
2: Let me. What are you? The, are you the Anthony Melton of this show? You you're the point guard. You take control. You don't play like oh, a G leaguer. Uh, here's the thing. Him. I
0: I thought it was actually good content and a good conversation, so I wasn't going to. The
2: Anthony Tompkins.
0: Uh, listen. <laughs> Um, a lot of these are timid. draft, a lot of these are draft questions. Uh, that's not our specialty. So we might answer them or we might not, you know,
2: <laughs> we'll send well, that send it over to the timeline.
1: Yeah. yeah. My only draft specialty is, uh, James Jones's draft specialty, which is basically, Hey, look, let's look at veterans instead.
2: <laughs> my, my draft specialty is Zion or jaw. And I think that's exactly what James is. I'm down Jones to just Zion day. and that's <laughs> yeah.
1: it.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's fire away, Tim. Listen, if if you do have draft questions, you can uh you can uh, go hit up Kellen Olson. He has a lot of opinions.
1: There are some great there are great podcasts out there who would love to talk about the draft uh, with you. Yes, yes. absolutely. That's
2: we are how, not that one. How <laughs> about we'll get it we'll get a draft expert on here eventually to talk about things. We right. We, we want that, some that's right
0: that. what we'll do. We'll we'll bring on somebody that knows more than we do to talk about it. So any if of you that want to come on the show, the show.
2: We had him on last year. <laughs>
0: Yeah. All uh, right, Ask so away. Carlos S on Twitter at yamcha17 said, and I this is I put this one first because Dave sent us something regarding this before. So this is mostly for Dave. Could you guys talk about salaries thinking to the next season what could Holmes and Ubre get if they are extended by the Suns, will Bender stay and for what price do you guys think is fair for Ubre, Holmes and Bender? So Dave, with your well put together salary spreadsheet. What are the Suns looking at?
1: Okay. So let's first of all, let's establish the baseline. The baseline is that Tyler Johnson has control over his salary next year. He has a player option. Uh, players are already deciding to opt into their contracts. Um, we've already seen a couple uh, that were player options picked up, even though the deadline isn't until the end of June. We already know that it's almost certain that Tyler Johnson is going to pick up his player option and be on the books. Uh, Kelly Oubre, you're not going to want to let him go without knowing what kind of offers he's going to get in free agency because he'll be a restricted free agent. So the Suns are going to keep his cap hold, which is almost $10 million, which is less than he would get in salary. Uh, assuming those two things, then and then Reshawn Holmes, there's only a, million and a half, $1.6 million cap hold for him just to keep his bird rights, so they could re-sign him. If he doesn't get a big offer in the f- opening weeks of free agency and team's money dry up. dries up, the Suns would be able to go over their cap to re-sign R- Rishon Holmes to a reasonable deal. So given those cap holds, uh, the Suns and then the number one overall pick cap hold or at least a top three cap hold, the Suns are less than $10 million available for street-free agents. What, so, what's
2: the number seven pick cap hold? Because that's where we're going to wind up. So <laughs> <laughs> um, they probably then would have about ten million dollars
1: available, maybe eleven or twelve million dollars um, in free money. Because you, what happens is the draft happens late June. The player will almost certainly be picked, some player at some spot, and their cap hold is what is goes against the Suns' cap for July one, when all the best free agents are going to make decisions. Most all the best free agents make decisions by the fourth or so of the year. Uh, they've picked their teams. If you're if you're looking for the Suns to strike it big and get a huge max level free agent, all those guys are going to have made their decisions by the fourth or fifth. Yes, you can you can argue that TJ Warren. Will, and sure, we could trade him into cap space. Sure, you can trade Tyler Johnson into cap space. Sure, you could trade um, uh, Josh Jackson into cap space, who makes seven million next year. Absolutely, but no one's going to want to do that before they know they can't spend their money on a, a free agent that doesn't require uh, any any compensation going back. So <clears throat> um, the Suns are going to have to do this summer via trades. Less than ten million dollars is not going to get you any any premium free agents.
2: Hypothetical for you, and this may be pie in the sky, uh, never going to happen. But could you see a world where Tyler Johnson opts out because they've already agreed, hey, we'll give you a five-year X amount uh, oh, deal? Sure. So, overall. Uh,
1: yeah, you know, Jared Dudley made a comment on Twitter just the other day because somebody was asking it wasn't about Tyler Johnson. It was about Goran Dragic. Goran Dragic has a $19 million player option as well for this summer. And somebody asked Jared, hey, would, would Goran – like opt out of that so he could sign with another team for three years, 30 million or three years, 40 million. And Jared said, sure, absolutely. Because that's more uh, guarantees for a longer period of time. When someone's late in their career, he was talking about Goran Dragic. Goran Dragic is going to be 32 next year, definitely on the downside of his career. He won't want to retire after one more season and he doesn't want to play himself into being really out of the money. Um, a summer from now and so it's possible that a Goran Dragic could opt out of his player option for 19-20 million dollars and sign a three-year 30 million dollar deal with somebody which obviously would cut then uh, the cap um, expense on on uh, Goran Dragic in half if he re-signed with the Heat uh, or take him off the books entirely if he signs with somebody else but Tyler Johnson is a little bit different boat Tyler Johnson is earlier in his career Um, he's got, you know, he's, he's only 26, 27 years old and he knows he's going to get another contract after this one. He's got one year left at 19.25 million. Why would Tyler Johnson not take that 20 million guaranteed in the bank and then sign another contract for three, four years after that, even if it's only four or $5 million a year, that's more total money for him than, um, opting out for a three-year, $30 million deal wow. this summer?
2: It depends on how much uh, somebody like the Suns is willing to go wink, wink. We'll give you f- five years, $50 million or something. Well, well, let me ask you a question yeah. then,
0: Greg. If you were the Suns, would you rather pay Kelly Oubre next season uh, $19 million or would you rather pay Kelly Oubre uh, $10 million a year for the next four years? Kelly Uber? Oubre or Tyler no, no, I'm Johnson. sorry, Tyler Johnson, yes.
1: Tyler Johnson. See, so, what so you're saying 19 for 1 or 10 a year um, for 4.
0: Right. I
2: I would probably if I'm looking at how to build this team, I like what Tyler Johnson brings. I just don't like it at 19 million. So I think it's more palatable at 10 was, o- over a 4-year span because he's He was always
1: he, at his peak around a $10 million a year player. That's what his contract was. It was just 5 5 19, 19. You know, so it was yeah. it was 4 years 50. So, um, and that was just to try to pry, that was one of those things that the Nets did to try to pry people away, young players away from other teams. Um, and he was one of those weird second round pit, pick poison pill guys. Um, so that was what they did, but it was really about
0: a $10, $12 million a year contract. It just so happens that it was back loaded. So you think so, You think the Suns would rather have him for four years at uh, $10 million a year than one year at 19?
2: Yes, because I think that gives you stability. He becomes a, a the good bench guy that can be your backup to your backup two or your backup one. Uh, that the contract is is palatable. Uh, he's probably the best you're going to get at a ten million dollar around the kind of skill level you're going to get at a. $10 million a year and you have the benefit of knowing what he's like in your locker room I would very much rather have have Tyler Johnson around for a longer term and a less next year which gives you more flexibility next year than the $19 million that he's sitting at right now
1: yeah I think I don't know I mean uh, he's not a great shooter he's not a great passer he's a good influence on the team but when you've got other good influences on the team is he as necessary I don't know he always did have a good rotation spot for a playoff level team in Miami,
2: so Hard you know nose, he's pay- playable. Hard-nosed defender doesn't turn the ball over. That's the kind of thing that you need in your second unit, and he's good in the locker room. So I think it's worth worth that. It's better than trying to go sign some over-the-hill veteran. Uh, and this isn't that's not a that's not a shot at Jamal Crawford. That's a shot at the likes of uh, of Tyson Chandler that you're going to spend that kind of money on, and you're not going to get. Yeah, unnecessarily um, encore production. That was It's
1: definitely not over time. the hill.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the next one coming from Lewis Yvonne at Sauce underscore Boss zero zero three on Twitter. He says, "Since TJ seemed like a man who knew he wasn't going to be here next year, what's a realistic package for the Suns who would want, who would uh, what that they could get in return for him?" And actually, I this was something that I was talking to Greg about, and I want to ask you, Dave. Because uh, when T.J. Warren didn't do exit interviews, there was a lot of Suns fans on Twitter that were saying, oh, that means that T.J. is gone. And I was thinking in my head that I cannot think of a time in which someone not doing exit interviews has or hasn't correlated with them being on the team the following year.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think uh, look people say tj's gone no you're not gone until you're gone Uh, it could be that the organization feels like they would love to get a different type of player in place of tj it could be that tj would rather be on a different team and not this one but that doesn't mean anything's going to happen between now and next year i mean come on we've all followed this team we know how things go and as james john james jones says um uh, making trades is a two-way street the other team has to want to make the trade as well uh for the package of players that you think or assets that you think are worth trading TJ Warren right now TJ Warren is on a very reasonable deal making uh uh you know producing 19 points a game coming off you know either coming off the bench or whatever it is at 25 to 30 minutes a game he'll he'll give you 19 and 4 um and he'll make occasional interesting steals for you that's a functional player uh and now he's making 40 plus percent of his three pointers on catch and shoot and that's a functional player so you don't give him away for nothing and so he may very well be on the team next year when he comes back uh when when everybody's coming back to training camp but right now the team and the player would rather he be on a different team next year
2: Dave, let me let me ask this and forgive my ignorance. I tried to do some research on I this. Always couldn't do, find Greg. Oh I know you guys do. You <laughs> guys are kind that way. But uh, I tried to do some research on this and couldn't find a direct answer. But right now, off season has started for anybody not in the playoffs. Are trades allowable at this point as long yes. as they involve people under contract uh, moving forward or draft picks, correct?
1: Yeah, they have to be under contract for next season. So you cannot trade an impending free agent. You cannot trade on, on any level. So the only guys the Suns could possibly trade in the next two months are Devin Booker and T.J. Warren and Tyler Johnson and then one of their rookies, and All that's right. it.
2: Okay, which which is fine for this. And they can trade draft picks, correct? It- this is uh, yeah. Sun- yeah, yeah, yeah. This- they can trade draft picks.
1: Um the the Pistons are actually a team that did something like this a couple of years ago. You can hey. make trades. Hey
2: yeah. hey, right. hey. Look, look, okay. My <laughs> my thought is, and I'm gonna get killed for this. I already can tell you that people are gonna be upset, but if I'm the Suns, I trade my draft pick right now. And I maybe package yeah. it with a guy like a TJ Warren because the Sun's draft pick is never going to be more valuable than it is right
0: this second. Unless. Because they get one or two.
2: No.
1: I'm no. saying before the lottery, it's before more valuable now because there's a 14% chance that it's one and
0: right, a 27% chance it, that it's one it, or two. It does get more valuable if after the lottery it is one or two.
2: Correct. But if it's one at that point, you're likely not going to trade it. Right now, you're more likely to wind up three through seven uh, than you mm-hmm. are one or two. Right. So to me, sell that lottery ticket and 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 make and get as much as you can before it becomes three through seven, because even I'd argue even two through seven is not a pick you want. Unless right. it's Zion, it's really not what you want. So you might you can sell that lottery ticket to somebody who thinks they're a hell of a lot more lucky w- than you with a guy like a T.J. Warren and maybe get some kind of larger piece that, and, and yes, to James Jones' point, takes two to tango. I, right. I get that. It's but worth a lot. Exploring. It's
1: worth a lot unprotected. It's worth a little bit more than it would be if the Suns lose and, and get the third or seventh, third to seventh pick, even just number one protected. Um, and it's it's not worth any more than it will be later if you if you protect it higher than that so I would I'm with Greg i would I would roll the dice if you can get a lot back for a TJ Warren
0: I'd roll yeah, the yeah. dice if you could do number one protected but if you were if they were to trade that pick <clears throat> and they ended up getting number one and it ended up being Zion I mean I i but <laughs> well, what if you got what if you got the legit power forward or point guard of the future? I don't have any specific
2: names in mind. Uh, I just,
1: Aaron Gordon. Let's let throw right. a name out. Okay. Well,
2: Aaron Gordon's in the playoffs. So they'd have to they'd have to exit the playoffs mm-hmm. and then you could trade for him, right? Well the,
1: so, so if, let's use him as an example of okay. a kind of power forward that is under contract, right? If he wasn't in let's say two weeks from now, when Detroit's out of the playoffs, okay. Not Orlando. Detroit, Orlando. When two weeks from now, when Orlando's out of the playoffs, they can then make trades. Okay, as soon as your team's season is done, you can make trades with for with players who are guaranteed contracts for next season, which includes your draft picks. So, um, let's say Aaron Gordon's available in two weeks uh, before the lottery drawing and after Orlando is
2: eliminated. I roll yep. the dice. Because he's better than anything you can get two through seven. And, well, and the, no.
1: Would you roll the what? Would you roll the dice on unprotected?
2: Yeah, I would. Because, unprotected. Yes, because I'm taking a, a lottery ticket that gives me a 14% shot at Zion Williamson, and uh, you know I, that bring it into a 100% uh, shot at Aaron Gordon. Aaron, Aaron Gordon, a guy that is better than anybody two through seven that I'm going to get, which is likely where I'm going to fall, and fills a position that I badly need to fill. I take that chance because in all likelihood, you're going to be sitting there with a pick that's three through seven, which becomes very less palatable in a trade. You're never, you're selling it on hope. You're selling it on the, the thought that a GM is going to roll the dice and take a chance. I would very much do do TJ Warren and that pick for, for somebody like an Aaron Gordon and other pieces or a hand or maybe a, a lower, First round pick. So what you'd like have that.
1: to do, yeah, money wise, Aaron Gordon makes about twenty five million or something like that. Um,
0: I didn't realize hmm? his contract was so big.
1: It's it's over twenty. So, uh, so you'd have to trade more than T.J. Warren. So you'd have to include it. So, would you rather have T.J. Warren, R.J. Barrett, Josh Jackson? Or would you rather have Aaron Gordon?
0: Aaron, Aaron
2: Gordon. Gordon. I don't need right. four. I don't need three small forwards uh, right. in on a team that already is going to re-sign uh, one and has has Mikkel Bridges. I'd very much rather roll the dice on on making a deal with this pick because uh, it, the perception right now is that that's a high value pick.
1: Right, because coming... trading Warren Jackson and the two through seven value pick, which is an eighty-six percent chance that that's what it is. Um, you'd still have Kelly Oubre and Mikkel
2: Bridges as your as your swing men. There you, and to me, you, that roster starts looking a lot more interesting with uh, with uh, Booker and Oubre and uh, you know and uh, and Aaron Gordon and and DeAndre Ayton. That looks that looks interesting to me.
0: All right. So we have time for one more question and I don't know, maybe we'll start cause I suddenly have a lot more time on my hands than I used to. So uh, you know, maybe I can get one of these guys to come on and do like a mailbag Wednesdays episode with me where that's all we do. I don't really know. I'll talk to him about it at some point by text. But the last question we're going to be able to get to today comes from our lone, our lone, our single female listener, miss <laughs> Diane Duran on Facebook. Diane Duran. <laughs> She said, "Suppose that I am the GM, and at number two, I draft Morant. And free agency, I put all the money on Randall and Ubre. Now the team is point guard Morant, Julius shooting, Randall. Uh, yes. Uh, shooting guard Booker, small forward Ubre, power forward Randall, center Aiton. If you are the owner, are you happy with your new GM, or do I lose my job?
2: Oh, I'd be happy with him, but I I am." T- I am terrified at the thought of going in with a 19 year old point guard, 20 year old point guard. Like it just, I don't think that's the answer. I'd much rather go win
0: 27
1: games next year.
0: It would probably mu- be Tyler Johnson with Morant coming off the bench, right? I
2: I'd much rather go veteran established point guard, younger power forward in the situation. Uh, I just, but I think, I think that would be enough to, to keep, keep ownership happy for a year, but then you damn well better start winning that second year because patience isn't going to be, a, isn't a virtue in this organization.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't do that at all. I've never been a fan of Julius Randall. I mean, we've seen oh, him. He's, he's basically TJ Warren uh, with more heft. So I, I think he's, he's, he can, he does rebound uh, and he does score, but He's really earthbound, so he's not going to protect the rim at all. The Suns had so many blocks in that last Pelicans game. It was just amazing. They had over 10 blocks, 10 steals, uh, winning that game over the Pelicans. And it's just Julius Randle is a guy you you love, and then he just doesn't produce. He doesn't, he doesn't get you to wins. And then a 19-year-old point guard doesn't get you to wins either. So you're locking yourselves into a 27-win team with a – first round you know playoff ceiling in two or three years because a 19 year old point guard isn't going to be a good winning NBA player for two or three years even De'Aaron Fox it's second year and he didn't get him to the playoffs in Sacramento and uh, he had a huge leap this year and still didn't make him playoff caliber so you're talking two three four years before a young point guard can carry you to the
0: playoffs Uh, last question before we go How many wins do the Suns need to have next season?
2: They have to be in the 30s. That's the only way that this actually feels like an improvement. We said this last year. Yeah, Yeah. and and we feel like it was a total and utter disaster this year at 19, and I think we would have felt the same way if they were 23 or 24. I mean, uh, they, they need to get into the 30s. And the names that you're starting to hear at point guard that are being thrown out there are Darren Collison. Ricky Rubio, T.J. McConnell. Those are the names that Gambo, who I think we have a good feeling where he's getting those kind of names from, uh, is is starting to say. And you brought up Collison was drafted by Bauer. So you start to connect the dots. That may be the actual guy. I'd that like they're to going have Collison going
0: after Ricky Rubio yeah. did make a comment. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago uh, that. If he doesn't stay with the Jazz, he wants to go to uh, a a team that's winning some games. Mm -hmm.
1: So not the Suns.
0: Right. Hmm. Uh, But Darren Collison, I think, actually uh, would be a pretty good fit on the team.
1: Yeah, he'd be a pretty good fit. And then that's an example of where you don't need Tyler Johnson as much if you've
2: got Darren Collison.
0: Darren Collison is also the type of point guard um, that can play with a ball-dominant shooting guard.
2: Which is what you're going to need. <laughs> right. I mean, that's uh, that's an obvious that that you're going to going to need that.
0: So, uh,
1: so what are the chances the Suns acquire Kevin Love this off season?
2: Uh, I obviously James Jones likes him. He's familiar with him. Uh, it would depend on what Cleveland really is looking at doing in the long run. If, and if, if they James really
1: wants to, right? If James really wants to make the uh, Phoenix Suns um is that pick really enough? big really good on chemistry i mean it's coming out more and more now that that those guys are talking about it but those championship teams or at least finals teams in cleveland with richard jefferson channing fry kevin love and james jones those guys were great friends really great friends and now channing is retired Um uh, richard jefferson's retired and now he's he's been in the broadcast booth for the nets and he's really incredible actually uh, and now, um, you know, you've got you've got James Jones in charge and he's got to fill out some more. He should fill out. They have said they were going to fill out their front office a little bit more. Um, you got Jamal Crawford. Does he does he play another season for the Suns or does he turn it move into a front office? That would be really cool to see some of those guys matriculate into the Suns front office.
2: Oh, I'd love to see. I'd love to see Channing wind up, wind up here. But to the <clears throat> Kevin Love to the Kevin Love point, if he can find a way to get him here, uh, I I have no problem with that. That's the kind of move you're going to have to make to try to make this team better. And everybody's like, well, it doesn't make you a champion. At this point, you're not going to be a champion in the next three or four years. You need to get to the playoffs. You need to build this thing. And a, and a Kevin Love helps you build this thing. It helps get these guys in a winning mindset. It gives you a piece that that actually would work next to DeAndre Ayton. Like, and, oh, the money. They're already spending the money. They're almost at the cap. And it's not like it's that great as it is. So why mm-hmm. not? And it's not your money. So who the hell cares? I think Make
1: he it. actually fits really well. Uh, well, the only, okay, he fits in some ways really well next to Aiden in that he can facilitate. He's a really good high post passer that was never utilized in Cleveland very well, um, but was great in Minnesota. He can rack up the rebounds. but as and the same reasons I don't love Julius Randall, I also don't love Kevin Love because, he doesn't protect the rim he's not going to be a defender that can back you know uh that can backfill for Aiden when Aiden isn't um uh, defending well so if you really want somebody who's going to be a hard-nosed defender and all that that's not going to be Kevin love so there will still be uh problems with the team with <laughs> those two as a long-term front court
0: so you're yeah. saying that if you have Devin Booker Kevin Love and DeAndre Aiden it won't be a great defensive team. I am. (laughs) I know.
1: Shocker. Hey, so we got to go, but I do want. I I do
0: want to give an update. We had talked about it a little while earlier. We were talking about who the second candidate was for the Lakers. Um, We actually talked about him a little while ago as well. Monty Williams.
1: Oh yeah, that actually be a good hire. That would be a good hire. Monty Williams is really great for reaching players and working with players and making them feel he, he. he nursed that Pelicans team, the pre-Alvin Gentry Pelicans guys, through a lot of real problems off the court, and he kept them, you know, focused on the court. So actually, uh, he may not be the greatest tactician as a as a coach, but Monty Williams is a incredibly supremely uh, respected guy in perfect, the
2: ka- perfect kind of LeBron James coach. It's a guy that can. Can keep the locker room together, but you know, and and that's what you need in uh, in that kind of a situation. Lonnie Williams is better than Ty Lue. Wow, go out on a ledge there, Dave (laughs) King. I'm I'm the ledger today. uh,
0: It's scalding. All right, so on that note, if you do want to support the show, if you feel like you get a lot out of it, we love you, we appreciate you. Just open up those show notes below and hit the support the show button. Uh, Greg, Dave, we'll talk to you guys next week.
1: Appreciate it, everybody.
0: You just got done listening to The Solar Panel. For more great Suns content, check out the Timeline podcast for stuff like this. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. (laughs) I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point, and that's all I had to respond with. But all it did (laughs) was lead me to look up the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career, and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? That's The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.